we've been talking about identity for the past uh, few weeks. And um, as a matter of fact, this is week nine of this series. This is probably double the length of most series that I preach. It'll end up being 12 weeks. And, but, but we're nearing, uh, we're three-fourths of the way through. And we, we've been dealing with this idea of who we are determines what we do. In other words, our identity will, will create the actions of our life. And, and so we've been looking through God's story because God's story helps us find our identity as the people of God. That, that God has more in mind for us. And as the people of God, as we look through this story, it gives us our identity. And so we've talked about creation, and we've talked about catastrophe, the, the sin of Adam and Eve. We've talked about covenant with Abram. We've talked about detours, because most of us, a lot of our lives includes detours. We looked at the story of Jacob and Joseph when we looked at detours. And we looked at deliverance with the story of Moses, but deliverance is a continuing story. As a matter of fact, as we talk about Jesus, we're talking about deliverance, right? You understand that, 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 that as we get to this part of the story, God again delivers his people in a final way through Jesus Christ on a cross. We, we talked about commandment and community. And we talked about wilderness and exile. And then last week we just talked about the life of Jesus. But today we're going to talk about the cross and the resurrection. And uh, you, 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 you can't have Jesus. You can't really understand Jesus fully without the cross and the resurrection. In Luke 9, it says that Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. And when the scripture says that, it's not just saying, oh, well, Jesus wants to go to Jerusalem. But when Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, he is choosing the cross. See, the crucifixion was not an accident, but Jesus chose the cross. That, that when he went to Jerusalem, when he returned to Jerusalem, Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. And so Jesus, in obedience to the Father, returns to Jerusalem. When he enters into Jerusalem, he's, he's coming from the north, and he's, he's heading south on the Roman road, and, 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 he, and he sees Jerusalem, and he's on the Mount of Olives, and, and Jerusalem is below him, and he comes in riding on a donkey, uh, the colt of a donkey. And why, why, why did Jesus do this? Was this just some fluky thing? No. Jesus intentionally does this because he understands prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In other words, J Jesus understands that to come into Jerusalem in this manner was going to create a scene. What was going to create an impact. That, that in so doing, he would be saying, I am Messiah. I am fulfilling Scripture. And the people receive him as king. They, they, they say, Hosanna. Hosanna basically means save us, we pray. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. See, Jesus didn't enter the city discreetly. <laughs> he, he, he knew that those in charge wanted to kill him. 
Jesus didn't enter into the city secretly. He, He didn't come in blending with the crowd, but openly, publicly, loudly, Jesus appeared in Jerusalem. And in his entrance, he causes this stir, this conflict with the religious leaders. Even as he enters, the religious leaders are upset. And Jesus didn't let up. Now now it's a question of timing, of when he goes and disturbs the marketplace, the temple market. Mark says... It's the next day. So some of the other passages aren't quite that clear. But but very quickly, Jesus goes into the temple area. It says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise throughout through the temple courts. He taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priest and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. In other words, Jesus is saying, and when he's doing this, this isn't just the religious leaders. These is the religious people. Jesus is confronting the whole system. Now, now near the temple, there was also the Antonio Fortress. And the Antonio Fortress was where the Roman soldiers would be. And it would be in the center of a town. And so if they were in trouble, they would hear of it, and here would come the Roman soldiers, and they would do something about it. If Jesus would have turned and went to the Antonio Fortress instead of to the temple, many would have embraced him. If he had said, hey, Rome is our problem, they would have accepted him. But but Jesus goes to the temple courts and says, it's not Rome that's the problem. It's the religious system that is the problem. It's not Rome that's at fault. We're at fault. God has intended us and this place to be a place of prayer but we've made it a den of robbers. We've made our religion... What is a den of robbers? Is that where the the bad activity is happening? No. A den of robbers is where they go after the bad activity, after they've robbed, after they've been unjust. Jesus has said, you're doing all these things that are evil and wrong, and then you come into this religious system because it feels safe and it makes you feel good about yourself. (sighs) Folks, the truth is that, that oftentimes we use church in the same way, don't we? that it soothes our conscience, that it makes us feel better about ourselves. Jesus is saying in this event, listen, it's not about going to church. It's about being a follower of me wherever you find yourself. And then we come to church and we celebrate all that's happened in the week, but we don't come in here just to somehow soothe our conscience. Jesus confronts the religious system. 
over and over. And finally, they, they ask him, what, what, what authority do you have? And Jesus refuses to give them his authority. And he tells this parable. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and put a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. You know, this isn't a mystery parable to the religious leaders. They knew exactly what he was saying. Isaiah had called Israel a vineyard. And Jesus is saying, listen, God sent prophets, He sent teachers, and you've beat them, and you've killed them, and rejected them, and now He has sent the Son, and you're going to do the same thing to Him. Jesus says, haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. <laughs> and they looked for a way to arrest him. You know, they were afraid of the crowds, and, and, and so they, they try another tactic. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to, catch, to Jesus to catch him in his words. And, and, and that's a fascinating thing in, its, in itself. The Herodians and the Pharisees were, were like Republicans and Democrats. And they come together over Jesus. Then they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew the hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a Daenerys and let me look at it. They brought the coin, and he asked them, Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. You know, there's an amazing thing about this story, and I, I don't know that I'd ever caught this before, but, but, but the face on the, temp, on, the, on the coin was who? Caesar. Caesar was a God. And by their actions, they were violating their religious code. That, that, that Jesus didn't have the coin, they had the coin, and they had brought a graven image into the temple to, to somehow catch Jesus. It's, it's, it's story after story. Jesus is repudiating the religious system 
we find this story. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live in, live on. Now, now and, and I've heard this preached often, the, the widow's might. The value of the gift, the value of giving everything. And, and there is significance. J- Jesus, Jesus never downplays the significance of the gift. But, but in the context of it, Jesus is also making a commentary on a wealthy religious system that would take all of the resources of this poor widow. Jesus is saying, listen, look look around you. Look at these buildings. And this religious system is meant to be here to support. And instead of supporting, they're taking everything she has. See, Jesus completely repudiates the existing religious system. He says this isn't right. This isn't the way. And it leads him to a cross. Then we have the events that change everything. The the cross and the empty tomb. See, Jesus is more than a prophet. Jesus is more than a perfect model. Jesus is more than a great teacher. If we leave Jesus as a prophet or a model or simply a teacher, we miss the point. I've been listening to this week, and Terry and I both kind of caught the song. Anybody hear Laura Daigle? She's a new artist. She kind of sounds like Adele. (laughs) And Laura Daigle's got this song called Rescue. Anybody, anybody heard that song? Just a, oh my goodness, what an awesome song. And this ideal of calling out and God coming to our rescue. As I thought about this message and I thought about that song, I thought about Jesus. See, Jesus has come for our rescue. He's come to rescue us from governments that don't care, care. He's come to rescue us from religions that don't matter. He's come to rescue us from the sins of our life. Jesus has come to our rescue. He celebrates the Passover with his disciples, which is fitting because once again we have a Passover lamb. He's with his disciples, and, and then in the middle of the night, Jesus is arrested. There's several... Illegal trials. He's before the chief priest a couple times. He's before Pilate. He's before before Herod. He's he's before all these leaders. And and the trials are illegal. The, The testimony is false. And he's found worthy of death. He's found worthy of death 
by the religious system. And Pilate doesn't find that he's worthy of death, but he pronounces a sentence of death nonetheless. And so Jesus is taken to a cross, and he's nailed, and he's hung on this cross of shame, even though he's innocent. Because the religious system couldn't accept him, and the government wouldn't protect him. Jesus is crucified. You know, scripture does much to let us know that he was dead. You understand that. that as, you, as you read the accounts, they do a lot to make us understand that, that Jesus did not faint, that Jesus wasn't just passed out, but Jesus was dead. He was gone. But the cross was not the end. On a Friday evening, he's buried. We have this time of waiting. And then on an early Sunday morning, I believe God raised him as soon as God could raise him. Jesus is raised from the dead. And 40 days later, there's an ascension. Now, now we've talked about this many times. Jesus didn't raise from death as a spirit, but Jesus was physically risen from the dead. God overcame the power of death, and this man, Jesus, ascended on high 40 days later, where he makes intercession for us before God in the Holy of Holies. And you know, we, we've been around church. Uh, you know, we, we, we have answers for, for what all this means. But I thought I'd just let Paul, not me, <laughs> the apostle. It gets confusing every once in a while. But I thought I'd just let the apostle Paul speak in Romans about what all this means. We're reading out of Romans chapter 5, and we're going to, it's quite a few scriptures, but just kind of bear with me, and I'll, I'll try to read slower. And all God's people said, please read slower, Pastor Paul. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For as just through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the tres trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may 
live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who's died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died... He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your bodies to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. Jesus' death and resurrection means that we can be forgiven from our sins and are able to fully offer ourselves to God. It's good news, folks. We're going to close with communion today. And I'm going to ask Pastor Bob, the juice over here, to go ahead and fill the juice. Use juice, not real wine, if you don't know what we use in our, our, our tradition. And Welch's was invented for the Church of the Nazarene in communion. <laughs> and in the middle, we have, um, we have gluten-free, and we also have cups if you're not able to make your way up uh, for communion. But, but I have a couple of questions for you before we receive communion. Uh, I, I'm going to, um, when, when I say we're going to receive it by intention, Josh is going to dismiss from the back, and you'll come forward, and you'll, you'll dip, and you can eat right up here because I'm going to bless it before we, you begin. But, but I have a couple questions for you. See, c- communion is a time, and I be, believe really as we've talked about Jesus today, that this is, a, this is one of those central times when you, when you think about who Jesus is. And not only who he is, but what have you done with him? Have you accepted God's forgiveness? See, this isn't about a religious system. This is about grace. You know, it's possible to culturally be Christian, but in reality not be in relationship with Jesus. Yeah, if you were raised in the church... You know all the do's and don'ts. You know all the things to say. It's possible. It's possible to be a religious atheist. Have you accepted the grace? Have you leaned into Jesus? Have you said to God, it's not based on me, but it's all based on you? Have you accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ? You say, Pastor, how do I know? Do you sense the presence? Is it all about rules? Is it all about going through the motions? Is there, is there this daily walk? Is there, is there this 
desire to know him more? See, I believe when you meet Jesus, when you really meet Jesus, you want to know him more. I can tell you, I don't, I don't feel perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I don't. But I know I want to know him more. I love him more every day. I, mean, I, 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 don't, I don't want to be away from his presence. David in Psalm 51, after he sent with Bathsheba, he's got those great words, don't cast me away from your presence. Have you accepted his forgiveness? The second question is this. Have you offered God everything? See, see, this is the rub. Oftentimes we want the forgiveness, but we don't want to get to this other part where we just give God everything. We say, God, I give up. Where you come to Romans 12, where Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's the only reasonable thing to do. And allow God to renew and transform and change you from the inside out. You can't sanctify yourself. But God can. And He sanctifies vessels. He sets apart vessels that are just willing to say, I give up. It's yours. You know, there's an interesting dynamic in the Scriptures. In the Scriptures, there's a lot of conversation, particularly from the Apostle Paul, to people who I believe are Christians but haven't gotten to this point of consecration. There's no other way to understand some of the letters, that, that, that there's people in the church that are living less than what God has in mind for them because they've just not gotten to this point of saying, I surrender all. It's yours. When we talk about Jesus on the cross and we talk about Jesus raising from the dead, Jesus is offering forgiveness and a changed heart. So I'm going to pray with us. And then before you receive what we, we call this a sacrament, which means it's sacred, this is one of those points in a service where heaven and earth meet, where the sacred, where the holy is present. Wesley referred to it as a means of grace. In other words, a way that you can appropriate the grace of God. And so this isn't ritual. This is significant. That, that we as the body gathered receive communion. We have this opportunity to come into contact with Jesus. So we take it very serious. We examine our hearts. And we're honest before God. So, Pastor, what should be the attitude of my heart as I come forward? 
it's, since it's a means of grace, I, I think as you come forward, the attitude of your heart should be, God, I'm coming forward in obedience. You know, I, I want to know you. I want to seek you. And Lord, I want to follow you. And, and, and I'm willing to listen to you as I'm coming forward. I don't believe that you have to have everything worked out completely, but I think your heart has to be tender to Him. So let's all close our eyes, bow our heads. Lord, I love you. And I want to follow you. Lord, my life is yours. Help me, Lord. Not just in these moments like this, where it's easy, where the church is gathered, where we've sang songs to say yes to you. But Lord, help me in my week when the church isn't gathered, when I may be on my own, when the tempter comes. Help me to say yes in those moments as well. So Lord, I pray for that person in this service today that is seeking a fresh touch from you, that they'll sense you. I'm praying for that person, Lord, that's, that's tired of the ups and downs and they just want to let go and give it all to you. I'm praying in these moments that they'll do so. And Lord, then they'll find somebody and talk to them and pray with them and continue just to allow you to work through your body.